Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for Wednesday the 10th of February and joining me on this edition are audio reviewer Ed Selly. They're in the computer. Assistant editor Steve Withers. The man's only got one look for Christ's sake. Blue Steel, Ferrari, La Tigra, they're the same face. And news editor Mark Hodgkinson. Moisture is the essence of wetness and wetness is the essence of beauty. Five star reviews. We promised we were going to do them. Um, Hark321 said, informative and entertaining. A must for anyone interested in home cinema and audio. Thank you very much for your five star reviews. Anthony Chesson said, CES special was amazing. Thank you very much. AV Forum's podcast is my go-to podcast for all my audio and video news and reviews. Informative and entertaining. Five stars, said Fido87456. Uh, thanks. I don't know where the other 87,455 people didn't give us a five-star rating. Though. Disappointing. Uh, and on, on the other hand, pr- uh, Pressure says it was entertaining and informative. Well, well, which is it? Is it informative and entertaining or entertaining and informative? TV Gold said, well-informed enthusiasts, informative without being stuffy. <laughs> In other words, hardly ever on topic. Did we miss one there? Because Sebastolona said, strike a perfect balance between entertaining and informative, and the team has a great rapport, which helps. Well, I like the way that we've managed to convince people <laughs> that we um, that we don't loathe each other. Yeah. I think that's that's that that truly is professional. Well, we only, we only have to pretend for an hour and a half every every week, so <laughs> it's quite easy to do. The difficult times is when when having to spend a week with anybody like CES, that kind of thing. It's not as bad as it used to be. Though. We're not in the same bedroom. Please hotel don't tell room. people. Hotel room. <laughs> 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 Since that messy separation, it's just all gone downhill. If you want to give us a five-star review, obviously if you like the show, I mean, we're not blackmailing you just to give us five-star reviews. I, I notice we're up to 60. So thank you very much if you've taken the time uh, to go and review the podcast and give us a five-star. So if you give us five stars, we'll read your name out and we'll read your comments out. Even if your comment is informative and entertaining or entertainment and informative, a perfect balance between entertaining and informative. <laughs> you could go a bit meta couldn't you break the fourth wall and use our shout out to give someone else a shout out through your five star comment i'm i'm lost <laughs> I'm now just confused mark <laughs> uh, current competitions uh, we've got rocky on blu-ray and that's open to all members until the 15th of feb and the boys from brazil also on blu-ray and that's active members and that closes on the 22nd of february any great film any previous winners not this week Let's move on. We've got a special guest coming up uh, very soon, so we'll uh, we'll tell you more about that when we get to it. But um, until we get there, Steve was out of the office. Very rare occurrence these days. Uh, he went down to Weybridge, uh, not just for a day out. He actually went to see Sony and the launch of their new TV, so he had to do some work uh, when he was out. And we had a highlight package of their TVs, as is at CES, and normally just show two or three flagship models which is what they did this time around we get to see the full range so um, apart from the speakers going from the side of the TVs seems very much of a muchness yeah I mean one of the things they did at least answer on last week which we were querying when we were at CES was the the decision not to use premium UHD logo logo, um, that was announced at CES by the Ultra HD Alliance which sets a, a sort of a bar performance level for Ultra HD TVs now, their argument was we they've got their own logo, um, uh, 4K Ultra, um, HDR logo that they're going to be using on, on products that support HDR. So not necessarily all the products that will meet the requirements of the UHD Alliance, but any product that, you, that offers HDR in some form or another. So it could be a camera, could be a TV, could maybe be at some point um, a Blu-ray player. And there is a Blu-ray player in the pipeline, by the way. Uh, they said it will be announced um, or rather released in the next in this financial year, which is um, which in their case starts 
in April 2016 and goes through to March 2017. So I think we could safely say Berlin in September might Either, be a good bet. If EFA, if not EFA, see yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it would still be within that uh, time frame. But um, that, their argument was that they have a logo for any product they make that supports HDR. And they didn't want to confuse the consumer by also having <laughs> premium ultra HD <laughs> logo on it. Now, I don't see a confusion there because not, not, both of them don't say HDR. But anyway, that was their argument. They did, well, however, well, say... Well, it's going to cause confusion if their TV's got one logo and all the other TVs have got another logo. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, let's be honest. This is Sony. And they, they're typic, typical Sony, isn't it? For, um, yeah, they did the same with they uh, can't Ultra HD. They can't just go along with the crowd, can they? They just can't go along with the crowd. They don't use Ultra HD, they use 4K. Because, again, they think they've got a, a range of products that support 4K from cameras to projectors and TVs, etc. Um, and now they're not going to, you know, not going to, even though they're a member of the Ultra HD Alliance, by the way, they, uh, they, they don't want to use the logo. Um, they did say that if they wanted to use the logo, the XD93 and XD94 uh, models this year would meet the basic criteria. In other words, they would be capable of 10-bit panels, more than 90% um, of DCI color space and a minimum of 1,000 nits of peak brightness. Uh, I think it's uh, was it 0.05 CDM squared on nits for um, for black level. So they said that they would they would meet that criteria, as indeed would last year's X94C. Um, now, obviously, we will test all this when they come in for review. But uh, they did say they could get the t- meet, get the, the um, logo they wanted to. They just didn't want to. Mm, okay, fair enough. But yeah, I think uh, if you if you go to the trouble of creating an organisation of all the manufacturers to create a logo to make it easy and simple for consumers to understand what a TV can do then I'd really recommend using it and not creating another logo just to confuse everybody again. Uh, you know, this is just a throwback to the days when Sony were popular and they were one of the biggest manufacturers, if not the biggest manufacturer of consumer electronics. I mean, we're going back to late 80s, early 90s for, for that period. I think they haven't gotten over the fact that they are a shadow of their former selves and yeah. doing their own thing doesn't always work. And it can, you know, wind people up the wrong way. I mean, I love their fan base of a brand fans um, out there. Every manufacturer does, but they are a shadow of their former selves. They they are no longer the number one manufacturer. And uh, but for the last twenty years, they've continued to act as if that is the case, and and that they're going to do their own thing. And basically, what they're doing, from what I can tell, is is creating more confusion by having their own badges and and not taking the industry badge. Of course, they don't have to pay a licensing fee either, do they? No, no, I suppose not. But uh, I should imagine there isn't much of a fee. I mean, you know, they are a member of the UHD Alliance. So it's not like uh, they were they were involved in the decision to create it in the first place. But anyway, sure typical they Sony. Could, they're sure they could have both way. badges. Sorry. So you got come on, Surely they could wear both badges. Which, I mean, as a they could have their own Sony branded HDR and and, and the other one as well. I don't see. Yeah, why. but that would be an admission that their own badging was worth squat. <laughs> so they were <won't. laughs> That's true. Very, very true. Yeah, they showed us what they did. They went through a presentation talking about the technology in the TVs, and they showed us basically the the high end uh, UHD TVs. There are some other UHD TVs being released, which they didn't show us or didn't even mention. Um, but they did show to uh, dealers and um, and uh, you know people that run Sony stores. But um, what they showed us was the uh, S. One thing they've changed this year, which you mentioned previously when we, when we were at CES, um, they've slightly changed the way they name them now. So now it's instead of. Uh, X, then a number, then a letter is now X, then a letter, then a number. But uh, this year it's the XD85 and XD93 and XD94. And it's also what's the SD85, SD which is their curved TV. So you've got the SD85 curved Ultra HD 4K TV, which supports HDR. You also have the XD85 flat 
Ultra HD TV, which also supports HDR. Neither of those TVs uh, support 3D, though. So worth pointing out. In terms of screen sizes, the SD85 is 55 and 65 inches. The XD85 goes from 55 to 65 to 75 to a whopping 85 inches. Although um, I have seen some indications on pricing, and it is pretty toppy in price for the big, really big screen size. But that's quite a, a range of screen sizes there. Uh, then they have their what they call their hero product, which is the XD93. This um, uses uh, a variation on the ultra slim design that they were using last year on the X90C. Now that TV, we didn't actually get it in for review, but I have seen it at shows and other places. And um, I, I felt that it struggled in terms of um, its backlight because it's very, very thin panel with the, the LEDs along the bottom. And um, basically it was it was uh, creating columns of light and the backlight uniformity was awful. Local dimming didn't work very well. It was, I mean, that may be one of the reasons why it wasn't sent out for review. This year, they've uh, they've taken a similar approach in terms of trying to create a slim design. Obviously, getting rid of the speakers has made that a lot easier. But what they've got is a new version. They call it their um, ultra slim backlight drive. Um, I think slim backlight drive actually is, and it's um, it uses two rows of LEDs and uh, two light guides. So in other words, they can create basically a grid um, to enhance the back, the local dimming on the backlight to. Um, open up one light guide to let light through from one um, area and block it from another area. So it makes makes the local dimming a lot more effective than it was on the X90C. And in the demonstrations that they did, it did look a lot better, actually. They actually showed the uh, um, that footage that we saw at CES, Phil, of um, basically the strip at night, the Las Vegas strip at night. They showed that on the XD, XD85 and the XD93. Uh, and the backlight um, uniformity, the uh, blacks and the local dimming was significantly better on the um, X. D93 than it was on the XT85, which has no local dimming, basically. Um, they also show some HDR demos, uh, first of all, using showing SD, SDR from uh, TV from last year, then showing um, the XT85, and then showing the XT93. And, um, you know, you, you go from SDR to HDR, I think, wow, that looks amazing. And then they went to the XT93, and, and that looked even better than the XT85. So, you know, it just shows that um, all SDR is also all HDR is not necessarily equal. So uh, that was an, uh, an interesting demo with the same piece of footage each time. It was basically some stuff footage they'd obviously shot, especially uh, of a camping trip at the base of Mount Fuji. Um, and then they, on top on top of the, so the, sorry, the XD93, that comes in 55 and 65 inch screen sizes. And then their flagship model is the XD94, um, which is has a full array backlight for local dimming. Um, again, has lost the big speakers. Um, and that's a, uh, that comes only in a 75-inch screen size. And I've got to say, that I thought the last year's model looked awesome. So this year, you know, losing those big speakers, I think it's a good thing because it makes the TV a lot less heavier and a lot less bulky and wide. But you still get all the picture performance. And people buying these kind of TVs, these big screen TVs, you know, they're probably going to have their own sound solution anyway. So they don't really need those speakers. Um, it's just amazing, even though we've been telling them that for three years, it took them three years to get around to taking them off again. Uh, but, I mean, I think overall it's not a earth-shattering range of TVs. I mean, it's more of a variation on last year with a few cosmetic changes and some tweaks here and there. Um, but certainly it looks quite solid and um, we'll see when we get them in for testing. But uh, if they do, um, and they were talking about the, you know, the color gamut being almost 100% of DCI, you know, um, 1,000 nits and um, HDR support. So, you know, they look like a strong, a strong lineup. One of the only manufacturers that seem to have um, more than one 1080p full HD TV as well. They did have um, three different ranges on show, which surprised me. Uh, and yeah, they, 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 they clearly still, it's looking very much like what's happening now is, if Sony's anything to go by, less than 50 inches, um, you're, you're going to be into your full HD, certainly from 32 to the 40s. 
And then certainly all of their main Ultra HD ranges were in the 55 inch and above screen sizes. There are some smaller screen sizes available too, um, but they didn't show us those at the press, at the press event. But um, there seemed to be a, a clear move towards large screen Ultra HD and then using a full HD for the smaller screen sizes, which I guess makes sense really. I mean, I really can't see the logic in buying a 40 inch Ultra HD TV. That just seems like a waste of time. But uh, but um, if you're talking about 32 inch TV, then obviously full HD is a way to go. So yeah, I was surprised they had three different models there on show. Um, for full HD, because a lot of manufacturers really are, are barely mentioning it anymore. It's you know it's it's ultra well, HD. Well, if you look at the look at the product lines, there's maybe one line of full HD TVs, mm. and like you say, it's normally forty inches and below, or forty two and below, yeah. and anything above that is four K full HD. So uh, UHD. So um, interesting that Sony still have that. I mean, that just points to probably they've got some in- inventory that they. Have to shift, well, and uh, I guess they, they they know their sales numbers. They know what's shifting and what isn't. And market research, they're probably presuming there's still a demand for certain screen sizes. Um, yeah, but you're right; they've probably got a lot of inventory to get rid of. It's interesting that they decided to drop 3D entirely from the uh, from two, you know, from the the SD85 and XD85. Which I mean, I know we've we talked about 3D not being a great success and not being that popular at home, but there is definitely a move now towards manufacturers actually dropping the feature entirely from quite high spec TVs. The Philips 8601, 8601 didn't have 3D. The um, LG OLED, the B6 won't have 3D. So um, there, there's obviously a move towards just ditching it entirely now. And, and I'm guessing that's based upon market research and, and their own sales numbers and, what people, and the feedback from customers. And I know, uh, obviously, on the forums, enthusiasts like us, well, not necessarily you, Phil, but people that are into 3D will go like, oh, my God, they're not doing 3D. But the reality is 99% of people don't give a monkey's couldn't care less and never used it and never will. So it really seems like it's a waste of time for manufacturers to waste money offering features they know no one's interested in, or the majority of people at least aren't interested in. So I can't really blame them for that. And, and you know, it does unfortunately know that if you are a fan of 3D and you want it on your next TV, you're probably going to have to move up the um, up the range a bit to get it. Yeah, thanks for singling me out there, Steve. No, no, I just know you're not a big fan of 3D. Speaking, speaking on for me, you know. Actually, I don't think mouth. anyone is on this podcast with me. I know, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no, none of you are. <laughs> yeah, stop singling me out. It's not making it personal. Um, right, Mark, interesting lineup of products there from Sony, but Steve sent you there. I've looked at it, I've seen the TVs. Um, yeah, they look nice enough. The picture quality is okay, but they're, they're not a patch on where they used to be. And, and it seems to be that maybe TV isn't the the main thing here maybe they're just trying to make it pay for itself and they're more interested in other products which seem to be you know high-res audio seems to be the big thing for them at the minute certainly sitting back and watching the ces presentation the um tv's definitely got short thrift there the the kind of glossed over them and then all the press releases were it was what it was one release for all the tvs uh and then there was numerous um audio products they were pushing certainly in terms of getting samples it's they're, they're, they're heavily pushing the the uh, audio products so it seems like yeah that while they have to maintain a presence in the tv market probably just for appearances um they're just sort of treading water a bit i mean i'm sure the top end tvs will be really nice because their their flagship tv is always a cracker but they're just they're failing to inspire me with anything they don't seem to be innovating we, we were rumored wasn't this strongly rumored before ces they'd, they'd have an oled no mentions obviously that's not happening the lack of 4k blu-ray player okay one's coming but they should have been outside of ces they kind of be they kind of just seem to be treading water in the but it seems it seems odd that they didn't announce that at ces and then all of a sudden a uk lineup it, the, the, it's now on the radar it seems strange that 
Yeah, which, I think because it was it highlighted mentioned? in reporting. I mean, that Sony haven't got a four K Blu Ray player to announce. Why? If they were if they they were planning to release one within this year, surely at that time, surely they would have said at the time. They, they, they would have said, yeah. So I it, think it's reactive, definitely. It, that's what it looks like. You, you agree, Steve? I do agree, yeah. And uh, but then again, Sony are a strange bunch sometimes. I mean, we, I went along to a press launch event where they showed us their new lineup for this. You know, you think you've got journalists there, you want to create a story, you want them to report on things. But apparently, after we left and the dealers came in, they they mentioned um, the ZD9, which is going to be using the backlight master drive that we saw at CES in uh, 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 back in January, possibly coming out later this year. Now, that's only a rumor, or at least that's what I've heard reported from on the forums from, from dealers that were at the show after me. But you'd think that's worth a news story, that's worth mentioning. Mm. But then didn't when I actually asked them about that backlight master drive, they said they had no plans to use it yet. That's what they said to me on Tuesday. <laughs> By Thursday, it's a different story. Now you're thinking, are you nuts? Why aren't you pushing this? Is a new? This is something we could have made a whole story about that. And that would have been really interesting, and I'm sure we've got good good coverage. But didn't mention it once. So you got to question their logic sometimes. That is strange. Isn't there a degree of self fulfilling prophecy here, though? Um, we we don't know exact margins as they exist uh, in in the television market at the moment, but we know that they're not exactly intergalactic. Um, well, and as, to quote Mr. Creoso, they are rougher thin. Well, there you go. Um, it just seems to be it, it just feeding on from making the TV division pay for itself, that then that in turn leads to relatively cautious bits of product development which then further doesn't excite people which then further doesn't make any money but they don't want to take the chance and actually throw a significant chunk of change well, they lost a boatload of cash didn't they a few years ago and then they ring they ring fence sony tv off from the rest of the organization division now so they can sell it off if they want to yeah i'm assuming that's why they did it in the first place of creating it and turning it into a subsidiary so yeah if it doesn't make any money if it continues to lose money if, it's, if they can't see a future in it they'll just sell it and they, let's be honest, that's been happening quite a bit recently with the other large Japanese manufacturers. So. Yeah, okay, so uh, that's just when you launch the uh, the reports are up on the homepage if you want further reading. And there's also two videos as well. So go and have a look at that if you're interested in finding out more about Sony's lineup for 2016. Right, let's move things on. So on uh, this section of the podcast, uh, we're going to get rid of Ed and Mark for a few minutes and we're going to cross over to our special guest for this podcast. A very warm AV Forums podcast welcome to Chris Ray, product specialist from Yamaha UK. Good afternoon, Chris. Afternoon, sir. How are you doing? Very well. And thank you very much for taking the time to come and chat with us on the no podcast. It's, uh, it's no always way. nice when we get a special guest in and someone as knowledgeable as yourself being a product specialist. I've got loads of questions lined up for you. We've had a few of the new products in for review. Uh, some really interesting stuff AVR-wise, processor-wise and soundbar-wise. But to start off, I think the big thing for Yamaha, certainly from the launch last year that Steve went along to, is your music cast. So maybe you could start by explaining exactly what music cast is. Uh, yeah, sure. So MusicCast is, um, for, to put it in very simple terms, is a wireless music system. Uh, it's very similar to some of the things on the market at the moment uh, in its basic concept. But what we're able to do with MusicCast goes a hell of a lot further than what's available at the moment. Well, well it is available now, so <laughs> it goes a lot further. Um, so with conventional music systems and wireless networking systems, you it's generally focused on music and listening to music and putting it everywhere and listening to all the things that you want um, all the time. But there's usually some kind of limitation or I can't send that to there or this to here or there's some kind of brick wall between you wanting to do something. You usually get to a point and you can't go any further. 
Um, and that's where MusicCast comes in. You can do everything that everyone else can. Um, we can stream music all over the house to any kind of product you like. Uh, but where it really shines is being able to do some very, very clever things. So one of the key USPs of MusicCast um, is that you can share absolutely any audio stream coming into any of your MusicCast products to any other MusicCast products. So to kind of put that in real-world terms, um, let's say you're watching the F1 and the first five laps are really exciting, but then they start talking about tyres. Uh, you think, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else. Um, so you just send that audio stream coming from the skybox, maybe through your soundbar, to another speaker in another room. Um, dead, dead simple. So and it just it just works. You kind of share the rooms together, and it's yeah, <laughs> no drawback to so it. So what's what's the main control system that, that you would use with Musicast? Is it a, an app on a tablet and a or a mobile? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so the app is free, uh, and it is all primarily done on the app. Some of the systems that you'll buy uh, do come with a physical remote. Um, but the best way to take advantage of MusicCast is using the app. So it's free for Android and uh, iOS. There's a tablet version, there's a phone version. It's free to download and try. Um, even if you haven't got any MusicCast uh, stuff in your house, you can still download the app, and there's a demo version available that kind of just gives you four fake rooms and lets you just play around with it and gives you a sort of beginner's guide on how it works. Um, but yeah, because there's so many products to choose from, you can find it in a lot of the products we do. There are 23 different products you can buy now as of today um there's going to be a few more scheduled later on in the year and then next year and the year after and the year after so before we know it we're probably going to be in triple digits in music cast um which is going to be amazing um the choice that people have perhaps a little bit too much in some cases but things like avrs will refresh every year and all our avrs have music cast all our hi-fi the soundbar the sound bases there are wireless speakers there's microsystems um, everything, absolutely everything. So, yeah, it's a really, really, to sum it up, it's a really flexible wireless music and audio system um, with everything you need, like AirPlay and Bluetooth and stuff like that. Now, is is it just a Yamaha ecosystem here, it, or can you bring in products from, from other manufacturers that maybe people already own, or is it very much based on your own stuff? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Um, if you want to use uh, the MusicCast app, then that is limited to Yamaha products because that can't control anything outside of it. Um, but let's say, for example, you have uh, a CD player that you really love um, and the source is fantastic and you don't want to get rid of it. No problem. Just plug it into a, a MusicCast amp um, and then that input can then be shared to anything else. Um, so, yeah, simple, simple as that. Um, you can also do the same in reverse if you use... Uh, one of our products called the CDNT670, uh, it's a bit of a mouthful, but uh, that particular product has a line out, so you can use that as a, as a music cast source and get it into your existing hi-fi or AV system that you already have. Um, and there are plans to expand that later on in the year. Now, like you hinted at at the start of the uh, conversation, there are other systems out there. I guess the, the most famous, and, and pardon us for raising this, but the most famous out there and well-known is Sonos. Um, which our four members are obviously going to be very familiar with. So how do you compete against uh, a, a system that has market penetration like that? I mean, what unique features do you add on top of what maybe something like that offers? Well, I mean, the, the first thing to, to remember is that we do everything that Sonos can do and in a very, very wide range of products. But then you've also got the, the extra added stuff on top, like AirPlay, Bluetooth built in. You've also got a Bluetooth output built into everything MusicCast. So if you've got existing Bluetooth speakers or Bluetooth headphones, you can use those with your MusicCast products. 
Um, and again, they work in exactly the same way. There's no limitation, no, oh, you can't stream that over to there. It just works. Um, yeah, so it's just a very, very flexible system. Um, the AirPlay element is is really nice. We've had a few people kind of send us feedback, and now that the, the product has started to get into the market, we're getting a lot of good feedback, particularly on AirPlay and Bluetooth, because it means you can, you can play anything. Um, you know, if you're using... Um, for example, Spotify, and maybe you're not uh, a paying user and therefore you're not going to use Spotify Connect, the free version will still work with MusicCast. So you can still listen to MusicCast from your phone, uh, Spotify, sorry, from your phone, um, and send that audio over to a MusicCast product via Bluetooth. So there's no, kind of, you can be flexible with it. You can do whatever you like. I've actually been uh, living with MusicCast for the last week. And in, in an interesting way, it's, it shows you the breadth of products that uh, Yamaha have put MusicCast into because I'm, I'm reviewing an AV receiver and a soundbar, and that's the reason I'm reviewing them. But it happens there are also MusicCast products, and you've given me uh, a wireless speaker, two wireless speakers, uh, ISX. Uh, 80 and WX30, I think it is. Yep, that's it. Um, and again, they're music car speakers. So through without even really trying, I've created a four-speaker or four-unit music car system within within my home. So I've got you know I've got a music car device in the home cinema, one in the lounge, one in the study, and one in the bedroom. And I've tested quite a few music. I mean, when we first when I first saw music cars when we first launched it last year, I was impressed by two things. One, it appeared very flexible. And two, it, it was in almost all of your products, which I thought was a great thing because a lot of multi-room systems, they are very much a series of products on their own. Mm. And it's a kind of a separate little ecosystem of products you have to buy to get that multi-room functionality. Whereas, as I'm experiencing right now, it's just already there in so many other products that by default you're creating a multi-room system, even if you don't necessarily want one. Mm. Um, also... And this is really key as far as I'm concerned when it comes to any kind of multi-room system, anything where you're running it from an app, it's got to be easy to set up. And I can vouch for the fact that I thought MusicCast was really, really intuitive and simple to set up, which is because I've had a few in the past where it's quite laborious to get them set up and not that obvious. Uh, MusicCast, dead easy to set up. Um, it works very well. It's robust. I haven't had any dropouts or problems or crashes. So... For my initial experience of music cast so far, I've been really impressed. And just to check one thing, Chris, um, yeah. this is not a new name, is it? I think I might have heard music cast in the past. No, it is not a new name. I'm glad you brought that up. I should. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we did originally have a system called Music Cast uh, back in 2003. Um, the the way I've been kind of referring to it in my head is because the old Music Cast had a capital C A S T at the end. So I kind of, for some reason, I just hear that as music cast, and I hear the new one as music cast. So it's a northern and southern version uh, for us, for us Brits. Um, but yeah, no, in 2003 we originally launched the the world's first wireless network audio system in as we understand it today. Um, the idea was there. The idea actually hasn't changed an awful lot since then. Um, you know, you had some wireless speakers, you had a control system, you had to get it all together. Um, the difficulty was that the idea was there, but the technology wasn't really caught up with it. Wi-Fi was a bit patchy if you had it. Um, you needed a server, you needed a controller, nobody had a smartphone. You know, It just kind of didn't really work at the time, but the idea and concept were there. So eventually we said, well, you know what, let's come back and fight another day. And, and here we are, we're back and we're fighting another day. So it's, um, yeah, I mean, so far the, the uptake has been really, really good. Um, yeah, and we're seeing a lot of positive feedback from people who've bought it and people who've been using it and, and a lot of our retailers as well who saying actually this is there's something special here 
it's funny you should mention the airplay capability because it is really flexible and that was one of the things that I really like because like I said I've got um, one of the wireless speakers in in the study and I use Mac and I just uh, immediately connected it to, the, to airplay and was just listening to music from my you know from my Mac into the wireless speaker it took me a few seconds and it works really well so um, I've got to say yeah I mean I was impressed when you announced it. I thought this could be good if it works, if it works. And at least now I can now say, hand on heart, yep, it works. It works. It's robust. It's effective. It's simple. It's intuitive. And that's all you really want from a, from any multi-room system. But more importantly, I think, you know, you're probably going to, if you buy Yamaha products, you're going to end up with a music car system mm. anyway, whether or not it's something you initially wanted, which I think is quite clever of you, actually. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> Unfortunately, it wasn't my idea. But um, I think it's, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is very important. Um, you know, we, we've got a lot of customers who still buy traditional AV receivers. And, you know, this home cinema is a massive market. And it's something that's incredibly important to us. We're not letting that go. And that, in fact, funnily enough, the other day I was having some discussions with Japan on the future of home cinema. And, you know, all sorts of ideas were coming out of the woodwork from from all sorts of people. So, um, you know, 10 years from now, what? who knows what it will be like. But the main point is that we're thinking about this is where do we take home cinema, not how do we escape it. We want to develop it as time goes on. And I think networking audio is very much key to that. So, yeah, absolutely. You, you've bought a Yamaha uh, AV receiver, maybe a soundbar, something like that. Um, if it's something we launched uh, in 2015, chances are it's got MusicCast on it. There's a few products we have that don't have it yet. Um but eventually the plan is that when we start launching new product every year, as we inevitably do, uh, eventually everything will have music cast on it. So, you know, you won't be, unfortunately, you won't be able to escape music cast. <laughs> It'll be there whether you like it or not. Um, now, you, you mentioned AVRs uh, there, Chris, and one of the features that, that's always been prominent on AVRs and processors and so on from you and from other companies is separate zones. Um, so zone two, zone three, so on. And I've, or hand on heart, I have never looked at doing that because it's always seems to be quite complicated how you add an extra section or a, an extra room onto that. But MusicCast takes care of that without a hell of a lot of issues. And I'm assuming that one of the ways forward would be to maybe have 5.1 through a MusicCast system. Yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely on the table. Um, in fact, when we first started discussing the relaunch of MusicCast a couple of years ago, it was one of the first ideas that was put on the table is, can we do this? Um, there are a couple of systems out there that do something like a 5.1, but as far as I'm aware, it's not a specific uh, traditional system as we would understand it today. The thing we want to be able to do uh, is be able to provide discrete six-channel, um, at least, uh, surround sound without any kind of problems with Wi-Fi or signal or sound degradation or anything like that. If we're going to do it, we're going to do it properly. So definitely on the table, definitely, definitely, definitely on the table. And we want to get it done, but we need to do it right. Um, so we're not going to rush and get something out there that's half cooked. We want to make sure it's it's of decent quality. Um, absolutely. But I mean, the, you know, this, the things that we used to do with zones and using cables to a, another set of speakers in another room, um, you're absolutely right, Phil. It, it's not... It's not something everyone wants to do. I mean, even in my own home, I, I don't have a second zone set up because I just, you know, I, I live in a rented home and, and therefore I can't uh, knock the walls through, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you want to run cables to a second set of speakers, um, go ahead, no problem. And you can even control that second zone through MusicCast. Um, there's no reason why we should let go of the ways that we've been doing it for a long time because that's how a lot of people do custom install. It just means that that AVR, that 
3050 that's got four zones on it, you can control them all through MusicCast. And guess what? If you want to add a few more later, just add some wireless speakers. Uh, but it also means the entry-level AVRs get some love in terms of extra zones. So even an RXV 479, you know, our first networked AV receiver in the range, you can add an extra zone to that with an extra speaker or something else. It, you can think of it like that because the RXV can stream everything to that extra speaker. I guess the missing component here is video. So is it something, I know it's called MusicCast, so therefore, you know, the assumption is that it's an audio-only system, but I guess, you know, just thinking out loud, the next step has to be video, does it not? Uh, well, wouldn't that be lovely? I think, um, again, it's something that was mentioned quite early on in the development phases, but the the realisation we quickly came to was actually we'd need to develop a whole new back-end um, to do that, in, and also the the bandwidth requirements are massive. I mean, even if you, I mean, if we consider file sizes and bandwidths of things like high-res audio, like a DSD file, um, you actually need quite a robust network to get that to stream. Um, generally, over Wi-Fi, it's going to be a bit of a struggle, unless you've got a very good Wi-Fi setup. Um, just the realities of the world that we live in, and all sorts of Wi-Fi interference. Don't turn on your microwave while you're listening to DSD. <laughs> um, or put it near a fish tank. <laughs> um, just, yeah, FYI to anyone doing that out there. <laughs> that might be why you're having trouble. Um, so it, it becomes an issue when you've got lots of bandwidth going around a network and maybe you haven't really accounted for that. But I think, yeah, video, would, there's no reason why eventually we can't get there. Um, I think it's something that we'll get to. Uh, I wouldn't say in the next couple of years, but maybe beyond that, we'd, we'd be wanting to do something like that. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's move on to uh, on the AVRs, which is my favourite subject because I still love the, <laughs> the good old AVR. And again, just because you're on the podcast, I'm not sacking up to you in any way, Chris, but <laughs> my history has quite a few Yamaha products in it when it comes to AV. And I, I've been into this hobby um, <laughs> nearly 30 years, 25 years at least. My first one was a DSP, now was it A1 or 1? I can't remember. It was a ProLogic only mm-hmm. AV receiver. And then the next one after that was my pride and joy for many years. It was a DSPA 3010, which was the oh. first ever Dolby Digital AC3 AV receiver on the planet, as I understand it. Mm. Um, and I remember, <laughs> I remember going and dropping a hell of a lot of money that weekend. I bought that amplifier. <laughs> I bought a new Pioneer LaserDisc player. And then, of course... That's I, going back a few years now, isn't it? Yeah, well, 19, <laughs> 1993 or 94... I think it was as far back as that, maybe even further. And I remember going out that afternoon and, and having to buy as many of the, the Dolby Digital laser discs I could find. And I remember going into a couple of, um, you know, AV, sadly, long gone um, AV stores, and they always had the uh, under the counter laser disc collection that you could buy. <laughs> US <laughs> well, it does, doesn't it? But that was the way it was back then, because if it didn't have a BBFC sticker on it, then they weren't really supposed to be selling it. So, uh, so yeah, it was always the box under the under the back. Can I have a look at the laser discs? <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so going all the way back there, and one of the things that I, I vividly remember, and uh, I even set a pair up to test them out and that was the fact that Yamaha products have had presence speakers you've had height speakers going back at least 25 years on your product range isn't it funny that 25 years later we're now bolting speakers to ceilings and putting up height speakers because of the audio formats we have now now either you guys knew the future or um or you got a crystal ball or you've got a DeLorean 
Um, I'd definitely opt for the second one if I had a choice. Uh, That would be awesome. Uh, I'd love that. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of nice. When you look back to the original DSP-1, I mean, you've had some heavy hitters there, Phil. The the A1, uh, the Z, was it Z1 or Z11? Uh, No, I didn't have any of the Z1s. Uh, I had, it was the A3010. 3010, that was it, sorry, A3010, yeah. And sadly, I went to the competition after that, so. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I won't won't hold it against you, don't worry. (laughs) Um, But yeah, since the DSP-1, which was 1987, that was the the world's first home cinema processor, and it was the first foray into the world of actually getting home cinema into your home. Um, And even that had ways of getting presence speakers into it. So even then, we were saying, actually, you know what, if you want really good cinema, you want speakers above you as well as on level with you. So, I mean, it's always been close to our heart. I mean, um, you guys might be familiar with our cinema DSP tech and how we do that. I mean, for the, for those who are listening who aren't familiar with it, um, cinema DSP is the whole reason why we launched Home Cinema because we were recording real venues around the world. So, you know, I, I'm we can't call them by their real names, but certain cinemas and certain theatres in the UK across across the world and stadiums and venues and everything you name it we've probably been there and probably recorded it and measured it in 3d um even back in those early days we had a four-point microphone that was developed um by yamaha and uh, one of the japanese universities and um yeah it just came with these incredible results because it meant that you could get these real sound fields in your home now some of them in fairness in fairness we look at them now some of them are pretty much uh, you know that they're a, a test a show test so you can put yourself in a church in Freiburg and the only thing that's ever going to sound good there is uh, is dry chamber music <laughs> um, but try and play a movie in church in Freiburg and it sounds a bit weird but there are but from all of that technology and from all of that development has come modes like sci-fi uh, which is an awesome cinema DSP mode I mean my amp um, at home my amp downstairs is pretty much permanently set to either sci-fi or straight or pure direct or something like that um, but sci-fi is fantastic because it gives you this amazing surround development, even with normal speakers. Um, and you have present speakers and you get this whole extra world. So, I mean, for us, it's just fantastic because it means that Atmos, DTSX, all these new these new formats coming out are really taking advantage of technology we've had waiting in the wings for, well, it's going to be 30 years this year is, um, you know, the launch of um, the DSP-1. It's going to be 30 years of Yamaha Home Cinema. Um, which is really cool. So, yeah, for us, it's just uh, it's fantastic and really, really pleased to see it. It's a bit of a trend developing here, of you being years ahead of the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there have been a lot of world firsts from Yamaha. Um, you know, the first home cinema, the first soundbar, the first music network system, the first... Um, yeah, I was told the other day the first commercially available CD recorder, um, which was us as well. Um, then you got the, the... Not the first ones, but you got some really famous speakers in there, like the NS10s. Um, NS1000s, uh, which we uh, dug out a set of the other day, which um, look a little bit battered, but uh, they, they look awesome. Um, very, very iconic speakers. And there's just, there's a lot of history there, an awful lot of history with Yamaha. And it's, um, yeah, it's gone to show that over time it has paid off. It's interesting that you mentioned history there because you're not only an AV company, Yamaha. You've always been uh, spread across you know, motorcycles and musical instruments and all that kind of thing. And I guess the the main thing here is that musical instruments, um, loads of history there in terms of what an instrument should should sound like in a given environment. So, I mean, maybe I'm putting two, two, two and two together, but I would imagine that 
if you have experts who tune pianos and build pianos and and test acoustics and all that kind of thing with different instruments then that gives you some kind of headway when it comes to trying to reproduce that sound in the home through your electronics absolutely absolutely 100% um you know if you if you've made the instrument you understand the sonic characteristics of a violin um and you know that violins are actually often used in concert halls that kind of lends itself nicely to home cinema i mean we are primarily um, a, a musical company and that doesn't necessarily mean that we focus in one particular area, it just means that music is in our blood, it's what we do um, you know, 90% of the people at the office play musical instruments and those that don't, um, they get given a kazoo so we <laughs> the, the Christmas parties just fly by I promise you so, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, everybody there loves music for one reason or another some of them are producers, some of them are musicians some of them are, are rock and rollers some of them have lived it, breathed it, done it. Um, some of our, our technical guys have, you know, they've gone on the road and been roadies for all the big acts through time and now they're just kind of there fixing stuff, which is, yeah, it's, music is a very, very important part of Yamaha um, through and through for everything we do. So when it comes to today's products, um, this is where I, I'll let you do your, your sales pitch for this year's <laughs> products, but uh, we're looking at the, the 1050, the 2050, 3050, and the CXA 5100 mm. processor. These are your big headlining products for the year. They're all Dolby Atmos. Um, they're all going to receive, I understand, a firmware update in the spring to make them DTS-X compatible. So what are you hoping to achieve this year with, with your products? Well, to be honest, um, it's kind of interesting because those high-end products are targeted, uh, the, the, the Avantage lineup, as we call it, our high-end AVRs, the Avantage lineup was originally conceived uh, in the US, or at least the idea was. Um, and the idea was to create this custom install-led product which also had the the heritage and quality of hi-fi products that Yamaha's had for years and years and years. So we come up with this really, really high-end performance amp, um, or range of amps rather, um, that do all sorts of things, but also have a lot of custom install um, capabilities like extra zones, being able to program them, um, all the latest tech, stuff like that. Um, I think for us, I mean, the home cinema market is, um, for us, it's been pretty good. And the high end does particularly well because you, you're buying a decent product. Uh, you know, hopefully, if you're looking at a, a high end product, hopefully Yamaha will pop up on your on your shopping list or your maybe list and then hopefully pop up as a receipt in your pocket. <laughs> um, but <laughs> fingers crossed. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I think DTSX and, and Atmos have definitely been big contenders in getting more recognition into home cinema. So that's been really great. Um, HDR as well is an interesting one. Um, the technology, while we're obviously an audio manufacturer, we don't make any TVs. Actually, it does directly affect us because these AV receivers and things like that are are going to be receiving these signals from external sources. So the update for the 1050, 2050, 3050 and the CXA will all contain an HDR update as well. Um, and yeah, that should be rolling out in the spring. Quick question, Aura 3D, mm. uh, will you be supporting that format? You're supporting the other two. At the moment, there's no plans to support it. However, that's not. I, I never say never because you know sometimes we'll go, actually, we can do this and then we'll do it. Um, one of the attitudes we have within Yamaha is that, maybe attitude is the wrong word, one of the ways we like to work is that if we can do something, we'll do it. Um, if we're able to support things through a software update and it works well, then we will. I mean, you can you can nearly always get something to work through, you know, some paper clips and chewing gum and rubber bands and stuff <laughs> like that. But, you know, unless it's going to be really good and actually work consistently for the customer, then there's, we want to make sure that people have a good experience when they use Yamaha products. 
Um, otherwise, they can't be reliable. And that's that's another one of our key USPs is Yamaha products are very, very reliable. I mean, you get three years warranty on an Avantage product um, by default, and then we'll still look after you. It might cost you to send it to the service center, but we'll still look after you. No problem. Now, it's great that this year's products are all going to be supporting the, the two main immersive audio formats. But we have had questions on the forums from our members, um, people who own the 3040 from last year and similar models, asking why they are not getting an update to uh, DTSX. Is, is there a reason why the older models are, are not capable of being updated? I'm told it's to do with the processing power. Um, I'm told the way in which DTSX utilizes the Cinema DSP chip uh, inside, or rather the DSP chips, I should say, um, is very different to that of Atmos. And the reason Atmos is able to do it and DTSX isn't on the older models is purely down to the amount of horsepower we got under the hood. Um, the good thing is that we're able to catch it um, reasonably early, so we're able to do it with this year's models. Um, as you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys know, there's been a few delays with what's coming out with DTSX and when it's coming out and stuff like that. So we've been trying to work as fast as possible. But yeah, the, the main factor is um, processing power. Now, that's not to say that you can't still enjoy your extra speakers. Um, going back to what I said about Cinema DSP, one of the big things about that in our own tech is you can take any stream you like, um, whether that's two-channel, mono, um, True HD, you know, DTS Master Audio, any of that stuff, and you can use the Cinema DSP to take advantage of all of your speakers. Now, it may not be exactly the same as having object-based audio uh, flying around your room, but if the DTS Master Audio track is actually any good and it's mixed okay, then actually you'll still get a pretty impressive result from your 3040, um, and even stuff that's been pre um, been there previously. I mean, we doing some tests, it's it's not the same, but it's still um, a really, really good experience because those presence and ceiling speakers can really sing once you get them to um, to do all sorts of things with the Cinema DSP. Okay, so if I'm going to be honest with you, Chris, I was never sold initially on, on the idea of massive audio, mainly because I couldn't see 90% of people ever having it in their living rooms. And let's face it, that's where the vast majority of people's home cinemas are, their living rooms and living spaces. And partners are never going to allow you know, speaker cables running all over the room, never mind speakers bolted to the ceiling, and then going for a 714 system where you've got four speakers on the ceiling. I just it's an impracticality for the vast majority of people um which is why i've always thought that you know it was going to be a niche however having now lived with it and having bolted speakers to the actual speakers to the ceiling and so on it is an absolutely gobsmacking experience um it really does add an extra layer to the sound um to the sound field to this to what's going on, uh, directionality effects and all that kind of thing. It, it really does add something else to the sound. So for those that, for domestic harmony, can't have speakers on the ceilings and they don't have back caves like myself and Steve where we can get away with doing things like connecting speakers, what's Yamaha's solution to that? Well, there's a couple of things you can do. Um, first of all, if you are an AVR owner and you do have Cinema DSP and you've got something from this year, I think for the past three or four years, I'd have to I'd have to go and double check my notes, but I think since the seventy one or maybe seventy three series of uh, RXVs, don't quote me on that. Go and check your check your manual. Um, but we have a technology called virtual presence speakers, um, which, as the name may suggest, creates virtual presence speakers. So actually, not in a dissimilar way to how the DTS upmixing works, um, we can create virtual presence speakers if you've got a five point one. So actually, you still get the height element without the speakers there. Now, it's not going to be the same, um, but it's still going to give you a lot of 
uh, a lot of oomph from it. And and as you say, Phil, you you get this this three D engulfment <laughs> of sound, um, and it just sounds fantastic. Um, the other option, of course, is you could look at. I mean, it's it's quite high end, but you could look at the YSP fifty six hundred soundbar, um, which features Dolby Atmos, features DTSX, or will do with the firmware update. Um, and has upfiring speakers in it. So all you need is a soundbar and a subwoofer, and you can get the same or similar performance to that um, of a of a basic home theatre with with Atmos. I should probably clarify that by Chris by saying you need um, <laughs> some space to put that soundbar into. Yeah, as well. you, you, you might need a little small. bit of space. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a small soundbar. You're absolutely right. Um, it's not a slimline one. Uh, a lot of the time, we're seeing these go in um, as new build projects uh, when. People are saying, I want you know, home cinema, I want a decent sound in, in another room, um, or they want it in their main living room, and they're wall-mounting a TV, then so, yeah, you would, you would look at doing something like that. But, yeah, if you've got a, a small TV stand, it is, it is quite tall, so uh, just bear that in mind if you're looking at it. But you do get this incredible performance. Um, so it's kind of it swings and roundabouts. You do, you do get something for it. It's not just it's tall for the sake of being tall. No, I appreciate there's an awful lot of speakers and amplification yeah. built into it, but I just thought I'd just point out to people that they're thinking and getting it as a solution. And it is an effective solution. It obviously avoids the arguments with your partner about putting speakers all over the room. Um, but you will need a significant amount of space to put that in. It's just, it's going to, you know, you can't just stick it in front of the telly. It's going to yeah. probably need to be wall mounted, uh, ideally, I'd think. Or you had to have either a stand that can accept it or, or a custom-made enclosure. But it is, it is quite large, much larger than you know, your average soundbar. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I um totally agree. Um and yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna get one, try and wall mount it. If you can't, not a problem. Um we've been using our our sets when we've been demoing them um with certain with hi-fi racks, uh, with a few of the ones that they make. Um they have enough well more than enough space um to accommodate. And there are other stands out there which um, will accommodate. As long as you keep the soundbar near to the front so the upfirers have uh, somewhere to go, then that's fine. Not a problem. Or in my case, a couple of coffee tables. Like <laughs> <laughs> here, seven quid. Can't argue with that. <laughs> yeah, no, that works. You know, I've seen, I've seen worse. Well, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, you know, someone like IKEA will come out with an Atmos line of <laughs> stuff like that. Um, it's interesting yeah, you mentioned upward firing as well because uh, I think it's an interesting point to to make is that all your AVRs and the processor um, when you go into the configuration menu there is a selection for the Dolby speakers so Dolby certified upward fine speakers and there's a couple of manufacturers have got uh, their versions of, of those out there so if people are using those then they need to remember to go into the configuration menu and what processing does it actually do Chris? Um, it's it's kind of a it works with the YPAO um, the Yamaha Parametric Acoustic Optimizer uh, if you want to get really nerdy, double points if you can remember that. Um, and it, it tries to calibrate the sound uh, in such a way so that it almost bounces off the ceiling. Um, very similar to how our YSP technology works, but not not quite the same as I understand it. Um, so yeah, it's trying to calibrate the sound so that it will bounce off the ceiling and, and towards you. Uh, the the disadvantage, at least in my own findings with upfires, is that you do often have to have them quite close to you in order to get them to do anything. Um, if you have them quite far, if you've got a big room and you're using upfirers, um, do try and make sure that you either angle the upfirers a little bit more towards you or move them closer to you because you might find that actually the atmosphere effect gets a bit lost if you're trying to project the sound too far. 
Uh, but that's not not to say they don't work. They absolutely do work. In fact, I was down at Dolby the other day and um, just seeing a couple of guys down there. And they got a little demo booth with tiny little up-firing speakers, but the effect is there. Um, yeah. So yeah, couldn't uh, if you've got if you've got a way to accommodate it and you've got it uh, a way to get them to bounce off the ceiling effectively, then yeah, absolutely, good option. Uh, the upgrade that's coming out that adds DTSX and HDR. So as it currently stands, if you have, for example, an A3050, um, the HDMI inputs are HDMI 2.0? Uh, at the moment, yes. And the upgrade will convert them into HDMI 2.0A? Yes, as far as I understand, yes, it will be that. Okay, and because um, that was an area where we've been asking that question from a number of manufacturers over the last year or more, and they haven't... Re- the answers have always been a bit vague, as that they weren't quite sure. So, I guess my question is, how uh, how have you managed to do it? Well, it's more it's more compatibility rather than a full full blown right HDMI two point IA. Um, because when you know new hardware and new stuff comes out, you need to change the hardware in order to get it to be compliant. Um, but what you can do sometimes is make a software upgrade that will at least make it. Um, compatible with everything that will come in but won't give you the full-blown spec of 2.08 as far i mean in the reading that i've done there's the stuff that you might be missing um i think there's some some of the copy protection possibly um or that's more to do with hdcp um but yeah it won't be full-blown hdmi 2.08 um but it will be compatible with anything that comes in using that kind of signal i guess pass the metadata from hdr yeah yeah that's that's more to do with it it's it's the metadata and passing the signal is really the focus of doing an upgrade like that, so that you at least at least customers aren't left out. Yeah, so the AVR is not going to be doing any anything to it; it's just passing it through, basically. Yeah, yeah, very similar to how we do our 4K pass through at the moment in something like a YSP 2500. Um, that can do a 4K pass through, but it's not fully; it's not the full 4K uh, processing, but it will pass through the signal absolutely fine. And it's HDCP 2.2 compatible, isn't it? Yes, everything. Well, everything is HDCP 2.2 at the moment. As you go up and down the range in AVR, you get more inputs, more outputs, stuff like that. Uh, I think in the Avantage range, um, pretty much every input on the back, at least, is um, HDCP enabled. Less of a question, Chris, and and maybe some constructive criticism. It's one of the things that both Phil and I have discovered um, through using, in my case, the AVR, the uh, A3050, and in Phil's case, the processor and power amp combo. The setup menus are not the most intuitive, I have to say. Uh, I've I found that from a couple of instances, I actually had to go, and I hate doing this, I had to go into the manual <laughs> and actually look through to find out a couple of things that, that, that didn't quite make sense because they wasn't really explained very well within terms of actual setup. Um, so if I had a, a suggestion uh, for future development, uh, it might be to perhaps, and also I, th- I think the menu system is, is, is looked the same for quite some time now. Um, it could maybe do with a bit of a you know a bit of a makeover, and it could do with being slightly more intuitive to use. I think it is a bit um, unnecessarily complicated. I think is the word. Yeah, I mean uh, the difficulty you you've got. I mean I absolutely, to be honest, I agree. I think we need to be um, thinking more about uh, customer experience with our products, and and one great shining light in that is the Musicast app. Um, I was just about re- to say, get the design music cast app to design your menus. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's five Japanese guys who sit in a small room and we occasionally let them out. Um, but <laughs> they're really good at what they do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, the music cast app has been, I think, part of a turning point for Yamaha because it means that we can show, look, we can do this amazing design stuff. And actually, the user interface is really good. Um, and the feedback we've had confirms that and, and from yourself, Steve, and from customers, from retailers, from anyone really, they're, they're saying, yeah, no, it's actually really good. There's usually one or two things people want and and a lot of them are, yeah, that's actually quite a good idea. In fact, recently when we were 
uh, talking to people on AB forums uh, in our feature thread, there were a number of really good suggestions that came in. So a lot of those have gone back to Japan. Um, but yeah, I, I completely agree. I think we need to be looking at a refresh. I think we need to be um, looking at how customers actually use our products because a lot's changed in the last couple of years. Um, an awful lot, and it's moved at a tremendous pace. So yeah, I, I think we'll be looking at how we ask customers to use our products. One, there's a few different ideas floating around, um, but I think it, it won't be long before something looks uh, different uh, in the future. Good stuff. It's nice to it's nice to hear a manufacturer taking feedback from customers because I think that's well, it can only ever end up in better products at the end of the day. So it, it's nice to uh, nice to see that Yamaha are taking that that on board. Um, Chris, it's been great having you on the podcast. I'm sure our forum members have got lots of questions coming out of this interview. Um, so if it's all right with you, we'll we'll obviously catch up um, in the very near future, certainly before the end of the year, um, and maybe do part two of this you know, once the products are out there and once people have had a chance to use them and, and own them and, and have more questions then we'll come back and do another interview if that's all right with you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we'll be expanding MusicCast this year. Um, we'll be expanding AVRs this year. There'll be all sorts of new stuff coming. Um, but I can't talk too much about it now because it's all under embargo. But yeah, later on in the year, there's uh, there's definitely some room for to do all sorts of things. So yeah, we'll be happy to be back and it's been a pleasure. Excellent. And if anybody has got questions for Chris um, or just questions in general about what we've discussed uh, during this segment of the podcast, you can ask your questions in the podcast thread underneath this podcast in the forums. Right, so once again, thanks to Chris for coming along on the podcast. And, and interesting, Ed, that a lot of focus there on music cast, but I guess, you know, even though it was a, an old product back in the day and it's relaunched um everybody seems to be moving to smart home uh, technology the smart home is is the big buzzword at the minute and music cast certainly falls into that scope yes definitely um i think uh yamaha have been slightly more ambitious in as much that they've seen beyond simply the sort of connected home bit and actually worked out how to make use of their existing sort of product areas in in such such an undertaking but yeah i mean finally um there's uh, a degree you know that the sit that there's protocol and and basic equipment in people's houses that makes it a, a, a functional and, and and practical proper proposition so yamaha were probably t- way too early to market with the original music car system as was discussed um and they, it's it's impressive that they were able to persuade the uh, the accountant side of the business to go back to it. But it it does show in that they're just again being sufficiently ambitious to to push it a little bit further and do a little bit more with it. But we are going to see more and more of this because for the first time, it's something which can be done extremely easily for end users. They're not having to do any significant modification to, or did any modification to the structure of their house to do it. Is the problem the fact that? everybody's now doing this and if you have to stick to one company's ecosystem then you're kind of not being able to use other people's stuff or do you think that the fact that bluetooth is prevalent amongst all these that you could actually use different makes and models well there's a couple of ways of looking at this when you're dealing with um yamaha they've got enough products that are now music cars capable that yes okay they could, you could see a limitation to being stuck into one brand but you do it's not really restricting your product choices um and then in the case of name they they've gone a different route uh they're not about um 
sort of AV or multi-channel or anything like that. They have simply found way that they are with the Muso systems, it's bringing new customers in at the bottom and then allowing people who have existing name systems to make use of their music library in other rooms at a sort of sound quality and aesthetic level that they're sort of happy with. If you really, really want to, as you say, there are means of, of, of getting multiple devices to sort of start making, at the very least, making use of the same library and talking to one another. Um, if you go for non-specific UPnP control apps, it's perfectly possible to flick between different devices and, and you know, they can make use of the same library. You do miss out on, if you like, convenience and nicety features like, um, you know, party mode where everything is synced up and playing at the same speed, same point in in, in different rooms. Uh, and obviously Yamaha uh, and, and, you know, there are other systems coming which do this as well, where you, one point, there's not just, if you, there's not just one central library, if you will, but a number of different devices can then, you know, be used to shunt material over the, over the rest of the network. That's something that is, it's fairly bespoke. So that is going to depend on there being a single brand, but the, um, uh, DLNA, and I always get the letters wrong. I'm pretty sure the Digital Living Network Alliance and 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 the broader UPnP protocols do mean that if you've got network capable products, it is possible to sort of use them in an ad hoc multi room way without you know without too much issue. You just miss out on some of the sort of bells and whistles features. Uh, that wraps up our hardware for this week. We'll be back in a sec with movie reviews. Okay, so moving on to uh, movie reviews, and we know what's it well, what's been at the cinema because um, uh, given the choice, it was Dad's Army or Point Break, and it looks like um, well, the review that turned up on the homepage uh, was Point Break. So uh, I think we know how that conversation went, Steve. Yeah, um, in fairness, there was a second review of Kamari, but she was away this week. I don't know if that was intentional or whether she just said that, so she wouldn't have to go into Dad's Army. Um, but I think we discussed it at length last week, um, and I'm judging by the review, A, Serena's review of Point Break, and also looking at the reviews of Dad's Army I've read in other newspapers and that sort of stuff. I think we were pretty much bang on the money uh, as far as those two films are concerned. Um, certainly as far as Point Break goes, Serena is, like us, a fan of the original. And um, I think she's, she hit the nail on the head. They just called it something else. And it had just been a film about you know a bunch of extreme sports nutters you know all those wingsuit flying idiots you always see getting killed every now and then um robbing banks and then FBI <laughs> trying to capture them, get hold of them i've never seen that steve yeah well, well i, th- I think a winged idiot is killing him <laughs> oh, I'll, 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 I'll digress for one second okay there's an excellent excellent series on bbc4 called the brain with um i think it's named david david eagleman um if you haven't seen it i highly recommend it it's really good but last week's episode was great it was talking about how much of the brain, almost all of the brain is subconscious and just operate automatically without even thinking about things. And in fact, the conscious part of our, of our brain is a very small part. They were showing a guy who does that free rock climbing, you know, and he's sort of hanging from the side of a cliff face, you know, just by his hands. And they were saying that when he's climbing, they're interviewing him, and he's about when he's climbing, you know, he's almost entirely instinctive. His brain is on, on autopilot. He's not thinking uh, consciously about what he's doing because if soon as you start doing that, you'll kill yourself. And I said to Laura as a joke, I said, I'll really laugh at the end of this. They have a thing saying, and this is dedicated to the memory of so-and-so. And as soon as the interview had finished, the voiceover said, sadly, three months after this interview was conducted. <laughs> this is like inevitably. Died in a wingsuit accident. And those wingsuits... You learn. Anyway, yeah. back to point break. <laughs> well, I think I think with the original, um, again, was, was pioneering was the fact that 
um, extreme sports weren't a big thing back in the 90s, certainly in the mainstream. You know, surfing and, and skydiving and all that kind of thing. You know, this was well before Red Bull got involved with everything extreme and, and publicising it and pushing it and all the rest of it. So, again, that was another factor of the original, which, which made the original you know, stand out at the time. It was because it was covering subjects that people didn't know, but apart from the surfing, people weren't really up with people who throw themselves out of planes for fun and, and, and extreme sports and that kind of thing. So anyway, moving on. Films released this week. And again, it looks like, well, there's one decent film in there, I think. Yeah. Zoolander. Uh, Zoolander. <laughs> <laughs> or are you Jane Austen fans? Uh, Zoolander 2 actually had previous screens at the weekend, so Kaz has already seen it. And um, sadly, and he's a fan of Zoolander, and uh, he said it's very disappointing. Get it five out of ten, he wasn't happy at all. Uh, basically, not enough jokes, or well, any jokes would be good, which isn't surprising. I think 15 years after the previous film, it's just, that's just a long time between two movies. We've also got Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which is based upon uh, a book, which is obviously based upon the original Jane Austen novel, but with zombies, of course, which looks silly and aimed more at t- teenage girls, I'd say. And also we've got Deadpool, which I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I've seen the trailers for this. Uh, I've read the stories surrounding its production and how it got made. And um, I think this actually has potential to be really enjoyable. Um, very funny, super violent. Uh, and with a character who basically knows who he's a character in a movie. Uh, so he's breaking the fourth wall a lot and there's a lot of meta jokes in it. So I think that looks quite interesting. I'm looking forward to that. That opens up on Wednesday night. Uh, well, Wednesday, rather, during the day uh, here in the UK. And Pride and Prejudice and Zombies opens on Thursday. Uh, Blu-rays this week we've got The Martian and Pan I have not seen Pan but I hear it's not very good and The Martian I have seen yeah you have, you have seen Pan well you've seen a clip of Pan a bit of Pan yes in, H- in HDR <laughs> yes I have indeed was, I, I've got to say uh, it looked fantastic in HDR but the film itself apparently not very good uh, but The Martian is excellent I've also seen that in HDR of course as well um, as a view film but that's a great movie I really enjoyed it uh, and it's also worth getting in 3D if you like 3D still because uh, I thought 3D was very good in it and it's native 3D which is a nice change these days now, does, then, does it, does it um, apply I noticed your review today of The Wire you, you'd certainly you, you said it had to be on a big screen is that the yeah. same for The Martian? No, uh, The Martian you could enjoy because it's about you know creating a sense of depth within the image with The Walk it's about looking down <laughs> from that wire and, and being up, up no, there. You see, I'd, I'd be happy seeing that on a small screen where you, you didn't get the full effect. Small screen. <laughs> <laughs> if it fills your field of view, like I did when I saw it at the IMAX laser cinema in, in Leicester Square. Is uh, it bottom clenching? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've got to say, the, the real guy, Philippe Petit, to take that first step out onto that wire, balls the size of church bells because I'm not kidding I would have absolutely crapped myself at the very thought of it never mind actually physically doing it um yeah and, and they do an idiot, they? they definitely uh in the film the walk they definitely give you a, a, a the merest sensation of what that must have felt like without being I mean utterly terrified as well but uh, yeah, but, yeah. You see, so, but you see Steve his brain you know, yeah, the way his brain was working, he he wouldn't see that as a as a risk at all. And he, if you listen to him in the interviews in the documentary, and uh, he's been on a couple of other things over the last few weeks, obviously with with this coming to the cinema and then on on the desk and and home formats. He, when he talks about it, it, he sees it as no risk whatsoever. You know, yeah, he he doesn't see it as as frightening or risky or or anything like that. And and you got to think, guys, crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can mitigate risk to a degree by knowing what you're doing and preparing properly and everything but there's always an element of chance isn't there uh, what if a seagull had flown up his bum or something while he was halfway across <laughs> why, why, why did you I've think of that, YouTube, that you know, why, why, yeah, yeah. why did that come so, to your mind and not a, not a, a gust of wind which is more likely <laughs> we're about to get well, a whole 
dark world of Steve's terrifying seagulls. Thought about the wind factor, hadn't he? Because he chosen a day where he hoped the wind would be minimal etc and he had to allow for, like i said you can plan and allow for lots of factors but there are things you just can't allow for some idiot going by in a wingsuit i presume it would be a bit out of the blue <laughs> um anyway martian excellent good 3d uh Rudy scott looks fantastic worth watching good story too really enjoyed it and a great performance from matt damon although i would have to disagree with the golden matt globes damon. i don't know how the hell it won best musical or comedy because it's neither but uh, anyway to, you know, to categorise it as when it isn't either of those things. Well, they just want you to give it an award. Didn't yeah, they, they wanted and, to and give it an award. It wasn't going to win the drama one because of the Revenant. Obviously, the, the studio had paid for it, so there you go. Um, Blu-ray releases next week. Crimson Peak, that's another DTSX release, that's, isn't it? That will be the first DTSX release uh, in this country, and it will be the third um, that I know about. But the first one, I think, actually released in the UK, yes. And uh, it's Guillermo del Toro. So I'm really looking forward to that. I think that should have an absolutely stellar sound design. Really should be good. Um, the programme is about um, Lance Armstrong and the Irish journalist who um, spent you know, almost his entire career trying to expose him for being the massive cheat and scumbag he actually was. And Hotel Transylvania 2 is a sequel to the animated film Hotel Transylvania with um, the voice of... surprisingly like. Yeah, it was actually... Wasn't, I, quite, I mean, I don't really like Adam Sandler, but um, I guess in animated form he's more bearable. You don't have to see him. <laughs> <laughs> So sadly, uh, time's cut up with us yet again. Uh, it has been a feature pack podcast. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed listening. And all I need to do now is thank Steve Withers. It's that damn Hansel. He's so hot right now. Mark Hoskinson. I'm not an ambiturner. And Ed Selly. This has been an emotional day for all of us. I think we should get naked. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got some horrible th- bloody images in my head now. What has been seen cannot be unseen. <laughs> Um, on that one, give us a five star. <laughs> oh dear! I give us five stars, or we will get naked. <laughs> I, th- I think somebody asked last week uh, if we would ever do a video podcast. No, no, no. You don't no. want that. No, the world is not ready. Just doing that on there. So. <laughs> Uh, anyway, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, book my gave you forums for latest reviews, news and video, and of course, leave us those five stars on iTunes and we'll read your name out at the end of the month. I'm Phil Linton, thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again next Wednesday. Wednesday.